In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. On August 15, 1961, St. Josemaria preached a meditation on the Feast of the Assumption. I believe it was preached in London while he was on a trip there. And he began his meditation by underlining the very fact that this feast fills one with tremendous joy. And he showed that simply by quoting from the a passage from the office of the day of the of the breviary that said, Mary has been taken up to heaven by God in body and soul, and the angels rejoice. That was the Breviary of the, at the time, and still there, you know, Gaudent Angeli was the quote, the, 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 the reference in Latin. Gaudent Angeli, the angels rejoice. And, well, we hear this, the angels rejoice, and well, all, all we can do when we hear this, angels rejoice, is try to picture what it looks like to see angels rejoicing at Mary being taken up to heaven to be received by her son, to be received by God in body and in soul. We can picture it because, I mean, how else can you, how else can we integrate this in our life of piety? We picture it. We imagine it. And of course, many artists throughout the centuries have done this. I read a, a book recently by a famous art historian. Her name is Elizabeth Lev. And I believe she lives in Rome. She knows a lot about uh, the history of art. And she's written a book called How Catholic Art Saved the Faith. And it's mainly about uh, the Reformation and uh, the Counter-Reformation, how, how artists during the Counter-Reformation uh, represented many of the great mysteries of the faith. But in her book, she says that the, the Feast of the Dormition the earliest feast was called the Dormition, and it was illustrated, if you could picture this, by a sleeping Mary. You just look it up, the Dormition of the Virgin Mary. She's sleeping, and she's surrounded by all the apostles there. And above her is Jesus, holding a miniature virgin of the Virgin Mary in his arms. And I thought, what, what is this? And well, this is meant to represent her soul, kind of like in the form of like a little mini Virgin Mary. And then you look up higher and you see that she's actually being crowned in heaven by her son. These were icons. This is the way the early church, especially in the East, represented the mystery of both the Dormition and the Assumption. But later in the Renaissance, the Assumption began to appear a little bit more discreetly, usually representing Mary as this kind of weightless figure floating up amidst the uh, musical angels. And again, the angels, they're, they're happy. They're rejoicing. Or they're kind of looking at her in stunned silence. They're just super happy. Hmm? I heard the story of this Caravaggio, the famous uh, 
Baroque painter who was commissioned to do the Dormition in Rome, and it shows Mary sleeping and all the apostles around her, and she's not dead, and well above her you can see all these angels, like they're almost like falling out of the skies. They're they're just eager for her to come up, right? But she's not yet being taken up, right? And some of these paintings show the apostles surrounding her bed, and they kind of look kind of like puzzled, and they're slightly in awe, and they think she has kind of died, but at the same time, uh, she's taken up to, to heaven. But again, always the angels are happy, and often you see clouds, and uh, all that is a sign that all is good. She's in heaven. You know, when you see angels, it's good, you know, and uh, there's musical angels, they're rejoicing that the mother of God is there. And indeed, St. Josemaria, when he thought of this, he would have seen images like this. I know there's a representation of this in Orviedo in Spain. I, I presume he would have seen that as well. But what was more striking to him, to St. Josemaria, was that from a tender age, he had a special love for a particular image of the Dormition of Our Lady, where she's sleeping, and because there was a side chapel in the cathedral of his uh, birth where he was born in Barbastro in northeastern Spain. And there was this side chapel. And he recalls these visits that he did there with his parents. And you'd see Our Lady lying there just like asleep. Right? And on the feast, people would stand in front of this recumbent image of Our Lady and they would respectfully kiss her feet as they passed by. And this seems to have really struck him in, indeed in, in the prelatic church in you know in the crypt area there's exactly an image of the Dormition of Our Lady probably reproducing exactly what he remembered right? because seeing Our Lady like that asleep uh, peaceful just made him feel secure it made him feel that he was close to her that she was asleep but not dead right? asleep but not dead and that that sleep seems peaceful. It was what we see here on earth, but of course her skin did not show discoloration. She looked serene. She looked beautiful. It was a serenity and a peace that, that was almost like contagious. And if angels could actually be visible, we would see her not only asleep, but carried off into heaven by the angels. And again, these angels would, would be totally joyful, some of them singing, some of them really happy to have the Mother of God with them. And indeed, there are many traditions that have piled up over the centuries to celebrate Mary's entry into heaven, greeted first by her son and carried by the angels. One common tradition was in some villages, they would have these processions with the townspeople and they would be carrying the statue of Our Lady and they would go to some kind of like archway or something in the town and there, there would be a statue of Jesus and they would like greet each other and there would be like a kind of like a solemn bow eh? that was like a symbol of Mary entering or just like arriving at the entrance of heaven, kind of, right? And then Christ would conduct his mother back to the parish church, right? Symbolizing, of course, her entrance into eternal glory. And there they would have some kind of ceremony, like a, like a solemn benediction. These were traditions, ways of showing the joy of the Assumption. When I was in Rome, in the place where I studied um, for the priesthood, uh, it was the International Seminary uh, of the Prelature, just, just outside of Rome, slightly outside. 
the main church where we would have our solemn celebrations was called Our Lady of the Angels. I mean, it was called Our Lady of the Angels, but really it was the assumption because there she is, surrounded completely by like tons of angels, and above her is this oculus, like a round window showing the tabernacle of another chapel behind. And, well, when you'd see that, you'd see Our Lady surrounded by angels, and you could see she's in heaven, and it's kind of like the moment of her transition, the moment of her assumption is really what it, it represents. And we can be sure, of course, that there won't be, there won't be clouds in heaven, right? Uh, nor will angels necessarily look like that, like you know, like long, flowing-haired, blonde-haired uh, with wings and all that. They will be beautiful. Angels will no doubt be very beautiful, right? I don't know what they will look like because they're not uh, material. They don't have any bodies or anything like that. But something will be there to really impress us when we arrive. And we want to be impressed today at the thought of the Assumption of Our Lady, right? at her beauty, and indeed at the beauty of the angels. Indeed, during the Renaissance, Pope Sixtus IV, he included the Immaculate Conception in the calendar, which was December 8th in the liturgical calendar, right? But he also had a devotion to Our Lady, so much so that he even dedicated what came to be known as the Sistine Chapel. He, he dedicated that to the Assumption. We, we know it at the Sistine Chapel, you know, the place where the, the conclaves happen and all that, but you know, that's where the Pope is elected. But, but it's actually dedicated to Our Lady of the Assumption. And so, why all this art? Why all these representations of things that we can't see? Well, it's, it's a way for us to understand more deeply the mystery of the role of Our Lady in the redemption. And you could say how Our Lady is the perfect expression of our, our Lord's saving action on this earth and maybe the first manifestation, the most perfect expression of that. Because from the earliest times, Christians have described Mary as the new Eve, the new Eve. Of course, this is a title that conferred a special dignity on all women, of course, but it gave an exceptional um, status to M Mary as the mother of God and it gave her a status as the new Eve to intercede for us. And the early Christians would picture Mary interceding for us from heaven. And, of course, we know that in the 16th century, many of the reformers began denying her role and, um, you know, maybe sometimes saying that this was not scriptural. Uh, but for, for the people of God, they're just the normal people of God. Any denial of these popular traditions like the Immaculate Conception, like the Dormition or the Assumption of Our, Our Lady, these were like these were like hard to take. And so some of the reformers started to mock these dogmas. They, they were saying that these were mere pious inventions of, of priests and things. Yeah, Calvin and Melanchthon, they were pretty... They were pretty heavy, you know, against Our Lady. So some theologians tried to respond uh, because people were not always well prepared to respond to some of these uh, attacks against Our Lady or at least, you know, the doctrines of the Church about Our Lady. And that's why uh, Marian doctrines became one of the most exciting subjects for many of the artists of the Counter-Reformation. 
as they wrestled with the ancient texts of the Immaculate Conception or the ancient texts about the Assumption. And that fact could bring a lot of joy to the people of God, especially as they started seeing beautiful representations, beautiful paintings, indeed even icons in their churches of the Assumption. So whenever you see the Assumption, it's always joyful. It's always wow. You know, it's always beautiful. Like, we know that the ancient teaching held that Mary knew no corporal decay, but entered, like, into heaven directly with her soul and her body. And the part of the sort of uh, testimony to that is that there's just never been a veneration of any bodily relics of Mary, any bones or anything like that, right? And uh, there is a, a tradition of where she, you know, like not so much her resting place, but uh, where the dormition took place, right? Uh, but there are no no bones or anything like that, right? Uh, uh, and so, uh, I mean, after all, Christians always took pains to bury their dead properly, but not, not with Mary. I mean, there's no tradition of that. And there's no need, she was assumed into heaven. And the tradition of the church is that Mary died, of course, as all people die, not voluntarily as her son did. Our Lord was on the cross. He kind of like said, okay, that's it. I've done my work. Now I will now, you know, commend my my spirit into into God. And now, you know, and now he decides to die. Like we can't do that. We, we don't have that ability to decide to die now, you know. Uh, to, like to give up our soul as our Lord did, uh, but uh, you know, Our Lady, you know, with her mortal human nature, which is uh, indivisibly bound up with the corruption of this world, she she also died, but but she was sinless, and of course, God made her that way uh, with her immaculate conception. She was immaculately conceived, therefore sinless. Therefore, she could be the mother of God, and she could bring into this world her divine son. So she died, but we call it more the dormition. And that's like just the moment before she's assumed into heaven. I remember hearing a legend. I mean, I don't know if this is true. It's just like a legend, you know, but anyway. But it's a story of the apostles who are with Mary, who who were realizing that she had come to the end of her earthly life and she had supported them all. She must have been like a real support to them. They were always close to her and they would pray together with her. She would remind them of things that Jesus had said. They were like, they were around her all the time. And now they were surrounding her and she was, well, as I say, she fell asleep. And as they saw her kind of sleeping, and they kind of like understood this to be, well, that she had died. And they wept, and she at least appeared to die. So they wept and wept, and there were even paintings of this. So they put her in a tomb, right, like like a casket kind of thing. And there she was, surrounded by all those she loved, and those who loved her, like an extended family, right? She was not there in some cold ICU station with machines beeping and IV bottles and all hooked up. No, she was just there. She falls asleep in peace, surrounded by those who loved her. And so the tradition in this legend, they put her in the tomb and they closed the lid. 
And just then, Thomas, St. Thomas shows up. Hi, guys. What's up? <laughs> He's always late for the most important things, Thomas, you know. So they told her that Mary had passed. So he started freaking out. He said, oh, no, Mary. And he wanted to, to see her one last time as he wept. They opened the lid again and, and, and found the tomb filled with fragrant roses. And she was gone. She was gone. You know? And, well, I heard this, that apparently, according to an old custom, flowers, medicinal herbs are blessed after the divine liturgy on the Feast of the Domitian or the Feast of the, uh, the Assumption. And these herbs are used as like a kind of a natural medicine and they are blessed in commemoration of the numerous healings and extraordinary graces that uh, were bestowed on pilgrims that were around that tomb where Our Lady was assumed. She wasn't left there, like she wasn't there. She was gone. She was just gone. Right? Okay, so she's gone. All they have are flowers. Right? Nice beautiful smelling fragrant flowers I don't know what kind but they were they were beautiful in the meantime the angels receive her but they didn't see the angels receive her they, they, like the painters would show her being received into heaven but the apostles wouldn't have seen that the angels would have been full of joy but the apostles they were sad they were you know they were really sad to see our lady go but somehow they became convinced that she was deeply still present with them. And we can perhaps understand this better if we think that Jesus himself gave us his mother to be our mother. Not just for the apostles then and that time, but she's our mother. She was their mother and uh, they, they loved her very much. And certainly... St. Josemaria felt very close to her and always referred to her as, as his mother. You know, you say in Spanish, Madre Nuestra, Madre Nuestra, you know, Nuestra Madre, our, our mother. As though he had been there with John uh, at the foot of the cross to hear these words, Behold your mother. Imagine Jesus there on the cross. He's dying and he sees John there. And he says, look, this is your mother. And then he says to his mother, as he's dying, as his last breath, he says that, right? And he says, behold your son. We are sons and daughters of Mary. And certainly, St. Rosemary, I mean, he took this deeply to heart. And we should try to do this too on this beautiful feast of the Assumption. Mary, you are my mother. But you're not just a souvenir. Like, you know, I can't just go and visit you in a cemetery as I would maybe a beloved relative. Many of us have lost our parents and we go maybe to the tombstone to visit and pray and we remember them. Of course, you know that on all tombstones we see the date of birth and then we see the date of death and there's a little line between and we think of about all their life, and sometimes we see we we see people we don't know. We see the date of birth and date of death. Sometimes they didn't live very long, or sometimes they live a long time. You know, and uh, if it's somebody we loved, somebody who's close to us, we think about their circumstances of their life, and we give thanks for all the good that they did. Right? And of course, at times, uh, death can be something very painful for us because we are close to those that left a mark on us and that have a lot to do with what we are today. And yet, 
though death is painful and it, indeed it might even seem tragic sometimes we can connect with those souls in heaven we can ask them to pray for us and they do pray for us and we pray for them if they're in purgatory but with Mary she's our heavenly mother and it's kind of like it's different this is how Saint Rosemary uh, expressed it in this meditation from 1961 and now the whole human race commemorates her ineffable assumption. Mary is welcome to heaven, the daughter of God the Father, mother of God the Son, spouse of God the Holy Spirit. Greater than she, no one but God. No one but God. He says, we face here a mystery of love. Human reason barely begins to comprehend. Only faith can shed some light on how a creature can be raised to such great heights, becoming a loving target for the delights of the Trinity. She's a loving target of the delights of the Trinity. That's a nice phrase. He says, we know this is a divine secret, Yet because our mother is involved, we feel we can understand it more if we are entitled to speak in this way than other truths of our faith. You know, we can understand it not because we're brilliant or anything, not because we're super great theologians. Uh, I mean, we're supposed to be good theologians, I guess, but, uh, but we can understand it because oh, she's our mother. She's our loving mother. So let's not let this feast just pass us by without really truly being affected in some deep way. And one way to be affected is to enter, on the one hand, into a deeper joy. No matter what happens in your life, no matter what the situation is of your life, right? And the only way to have real deep joy is that we enter into this logic, discover this new logic, that is not a mere human logic, but a, you could call it a supernatural logic. Something really wonderful happened to Mary because she let herself be guided by this divine logic. She was immaculately conceived, but then God used her as an instrument and she freely assented to that with her fiat. Now, this did not spare her pain or trials in her faith, in, in, you know, in her life. She lived a hidden and silent sacrifice in her daily life. I mean, we do call her, after all, Our Lady of Sorrows, because she suffered, uh, in many ways, the passion. She was more conscious of what it signified. Right? But most of her life was just doing humble tasks. Uh, and, and how different life is for us when we see ourselves through the prism of God's love. Like if we would just see ourselves as God sees us. Right? We aren't, after all, sinners in the hands of an angry God as though he were ready to pounce and smack us around. Right? We are sinners, yes, but under the mantle of Our Lady, of Our Mother, the Mother of Mercy, the Mother of God, who helps us to perceive and see ourselves bathed in the light of that loving glance. 
That's why there's also paintings of Our Lady, like holding sinners in her mantle, right? I've, I've seen paintings of that of all these people. She's holding her mantle, and all these kind of strange-looking guys. One guy with like a, like a, I don't know, like a hood on, and you know, like he's like an executioner or something, <laughs> you know. And um, these are all sinners. We are sinners, but we're under the mantle of our Blessed Mother. Isn't that beautiful? Right? I mean, you can imagine why the angels were truly rejoicing. That's why Josemaria spoke about that divine logic. He said, We come to realize that the supernatural value of our life does not depend on accomplishing great undertakings suggested to us by our overactive imagination. Rather, it is to be found in the faithful acceptance of God's will in welcoming generously the opportunities for small daily sacrifice. And that's what he said in that meditation. So we ask our Lord, uh, how is that divine logic expressed? And how can I really enter into that divine logic, that way of thinking? Well, to become disciples of our Lord, we have to begin by being always willing to abandon the old ways of sin, that is, those old ways that are behind us, and begin to really desire to be created again by God's Holy Spirit. That's what happened to Mary. What happened to Mary can happen to us. And, of course, uh, you know, she is really... The example in that sense that the glorious destiny that was uh, the destiny, of course, of our Lord in his resurrection is expressed ultimately, liturgically, in the Feast of uh, Our Lady's uh, Assumption and Glorification. This is what this American Trappist monk Erasmo Leva Medicakis said. I just picked this up in one of his books, these big, thick um, commentaries that he has he says that the resurrection of the sun has already worked its full effect in the mother who bore him in faith and love and this too is our own path and destiny if we want to be and if we are willing to live accordingly this is the final of the liturgical celebrations in which we are called to contemplate the role of the Blessed Virgin Mary in the history of salvation. So Jesus rose from the dead on his own power and, well, Mary was assumed. She didn't rise from the dead on her own power, but she is like the first fruit, the first expression. of that. That's why she's assumed, like it wasn't her power, but it was God, Jesus, since she was sinless, bringing her to himself. That's why the Immaculate Conception, the Assumption, and the Divine Motherhood are all interconnected milestones in which the Church exalts and praises the glorious destiny of the Mother of God. And with there, we can really also uh, read our history. As long as we see her as our Mother, we will be at peace. Mary's Assumption, well, we contemplate really what we ourselves are called to attain. And in following Christ the Lord and in obedience to His Word, in the end of our earthly journey, well, we're not going to be assumed into heaven immediately, but we are also called to be with our Blessed Mother, with our Lord and our Blessed Mother. 
let's finish this time of prayer now by nurturing that hope because well our lord is waiting for us our blessed mother is waiting for us and she wants us to come to be with her son imagine her now smiling and praying for you and praying for me with the hope of achieving this greatest of all graces which is our perseverance and it'll happen if we're patient our blessed mother will intercede for us i thank you my god for the good resolutions affections and inspirations that you have communicated to me in this meditation i ask your help to put them into effect my immaculate mother saint joseph my father and lord my guardian angel intercede for me